0: This podcast is a presentation of University of California Television. Like what you hear? Consider making a donation at uctv.tv donate so we can continue to bring you more great programs. Okay, thank you for having me. Um, I usually start by introducing myself, but I guess that really covered it all. I've been here for about two years, and I'm excited to tell you what my lab has been working on. Okay. So first, let's talk about a major advance in cancer therapy, and that's immunotherapy. And so immunotherapy is basically convincing your body's immune system to attack cancer cells. You may have heard of it. You may even know someone who has benefited from it. And it is definitely a really huge advance. But currently, only about 25% of patients who are treated with immunotherapies respond. And while 25% is kind of huge, that is a lot of people whose lives have been significantly improved. It's also really small because the majority of people aren't responding. 75% don't respond. And so I'm interested in trying to understand why why only 25% are currently responding and how we might be able to increase that number. Okay, so one problem with the current cancer immunotherapy arsenal is that almost everything targets one specific type of cells, T cells. And this makes a lot of sense. T cells are great at killing things. They're also in particular really good at killing cancer cells. But by only targeting one cell type, we are limited by the behavior of that specific cell type. And so even though T cells have a lot of strengths, they also have some flaws. For example, T cells are not very good at getting into solid tumors. And so if the T cell can't get into the tumor, you can give as many T cell-based therapies as you want, but it will be very difficult to get that immunotherapy to work in that patient. And so in contrast to T cells, macrophages, another immune cell type, are not very well studied. Macrophages, unlike T cells are really good at getting into tumors. So for example, if you just inject macrophages into the tail vein of a mouse, they will migrate to the tumor and they'll set up residence in that tumor. So I think that perhaps if we could develop strategies that target macrophages, they could synergize really well with our current cancer immunotherapies targeting T cells because they would fill in some of these gaps where T cells aren't working. Okay, so what is a macrophage? Here's a movie I took of a macrophage on my microscope. The macrophage is in green and it's phagocytosing this pink cell. So macrophage means big eater. So this eating, this phagocytosing is probably what macrophages are most well known for. But macrophages do a lot of other things too. They're sentinels of the immune system. They're constantly scouting tissues, looking for signs of injury or infection. And when they find something that's a problem they're the ones responsible for communicating with the rest of the immune system what type of threat that is so for example if a macrophage finds a wound it will phagocytose the debris clear the dead cells and then it will send specific signals to the rest of the immune system telling it to promote healing but if a macrophage encounters an infection the macrophage will phagocytose those pathogens and send totally different signals to the immune system saying kill 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 everything you find Okay, so how can we target macrophages in immunotherapy? Actually, one clue is this movie. This macrophage is actually one that I've engineered so that it recognizes cancer cells, these pink cells, and phagocytosis them. So we can get macrophages to eat cancer cells with some engineering. Other things we might wanna get macrophages to do, they can secrete cytotoxic cytokines or little proteins that poison the cancer cells. And then perhaps most exciting, they can communicate with the rest of the immune system, stimulating the rest of the immune system to attack the cancer. Now, with all of these really great things that macrophages can do, why isn't everyone targeting macrophages? Well, they have a dark side too. Macrophages can promote cancer metastasis or the spread of cancer cells from one tumor to a new location. And they can also secrete immunosuppressive cytokines that keep other immune cells out of the tumor. And so because of this, the balance between the good and the bad actually usually ends up negative. More macrophages in a tumor correlates with poor patient prognosis. So if we want to target macrophages in cancer immunotherapy, we have to really understand their biology. So the big question is how can we rewire macrophage signaling to control specific outputs so that we can turn on the things we want, but not the things we don't want? Okay, so this is gonna take a lot of basic biology, a lot of molecular knowledge. And one of the reasons it's so complicated is that macrophages are surveying many different signals in the tissue that they are in to determine how they should respond. And they don't just measure the binary presence or absence of different signals. They also measure how much of each signal is there. So this is a lot to untangle. So how could we approach this? Well, if you wanna study this in vivo, every single target that the macrophage encounters might be a little bit different. It will vary in size and shape and stiffness. And the most complicating thing for me is that it will have many different signals on its surface. And you don't even know totally what's, you don't even know the full complement of signals that are there. You don't know how much of each signal and you don't know whether each cell is the same. And somehow it's the combined action of all of those signals that tells a macrophage how to respond to a target. And I would love to eventually understand all of this complexity, but to start making progress right now, we are using synthetic biology. So we take the macrophages out of, of the animal, do our assays ex vivo, And we present them with a synthetic target. So this is a glass bead. It's coated in a fake cell membrane, and then we can add specific proteins at specific concentrations and ask how the macrophage responds. And unlike the in vivo situation here, we have really, really good control. We can control what signals are there, how much, and as I'll tell you a little bit later in this talk, we can even sometimes control what pattern the signals have on the target. Okay, so that's how we're approaching the problem. The first, or the main thing that my lab is working on right now is how a macrophage decides what to eat. And so here I am showing you a fungus, and this fungus has IgG antibodies bound to it. These are proteins that other cells in your immune system make. They recognize specific proteins on pathogens or infected cells, and they tell macrophages, eat this target. So we call these eat me signals. And you might be thinking, okay, this will be a short talk. The problem is solved. A macrophage simply eats things with eat me signals. But of course it's more complicated. And part of the reason for that is that there are eat me signals constantly present even in healthy tissues. And they're present at shockingly high concentrations. And so given the immense background, even healthy cells like these red blood cells will sometimes bind to some eat me signals. And so if a macrophage were to phagocytose or enact inflammation because of these healthy cells, that would cause a huge problem. It's really important that a macrophage doesn't engulf these cells or the organism will get autoimmune disease. It's equally important that the macrophage can really rapidly respond to these pathogens and phagocytose them so that the organism is protected from infection. So how does a macrophage make this decision? Well, first, the macrophage can measure eat-me signals like IgG. It can tell the difference between a few eat-me signals and a lot of eat-me signals. And then, in addition, there are don't-eat-me signals present on viable cells. The most well-understood of them is CD47, and these protect those healthy cells from being phagocytosed. And so today I'm going to tell you two short stories of projects that I've done, one studying how macrophages measure IgG, And the other trying to understand how cd47 actually stops phagocytosis okay so we're talking about igg and cd47 but i did promise this was going to be about cancer cells so how what does this have to do with cancer and so the first reason is that many cancer therapies are therapeutic antibodies they're antibodies that have been designed to recognize a specific protein on a cancer cell surface And part of the way they act is by engaging immune cells, including macrophages, to do all of the antibody effector functions that the cells can do to kill them, kill cancer cells. Then for part two, for CD47, CD47 is overexpressed on many cancer cells. And this allows the cancer cells to hide from the innate immune system. This is really important because cancer cells are really dysregulated cells. And so they will often expose some aberrant eat me signals that they really wouldn't expose if they were healthy cells. And so for this reason, if you block CD47, which is currently a strategy in many different clinical trials, macrophages can now phagocytose those cancer cells. And it works even better if you combine a CD47 blockade with a therapeutic antibody so that now you've inhibited the don't eat me signals and increase the eat me signals on the same cancer cells. Okay, so back to this question, how do macrophages measure IgG? This work was done by Nadia Kern, who is a graduate student at UCSF. And we started this work during my postdoc, which was also at UCSF, and then continued it as I started my lab here at UCSB. So the first thing I want to show you is some data backing up this this claim that I've said, that macrophages will only phagocytose things with lots of IgG. And so these pictures are from kind of Normal experiments in our lab. In pink, you can see macrophages, and then these green circles are those glass beads. And on the glass beads, I've added a different amount of IgG. And I did this experiment with all sorts of different levels of IgG. These beads have 10 times less IgG than these beads. And what you can see is the macrophage ignores these, but all of these beads inside the macrophage, is because the macrophage has phagocytosed them. Okay, so macrophages can measure the amount of IgG and respond differently. How might they do this? So first we have to start by talking about what molecules are involved. So first there's IgG antibodies. These bind to the target surface. This could be a therapeutic antibody that you've added to treat a cancer patient, or it could be an antibody that your body has produced. This is recognized by the FC receptor in the macrophage when the FC receptor binds to IgG, it tells the macrophage to eat that target. Now there's one problem with this diagram that I've drawn so far, and that is that there's only one IgG and only one FC receptor. And in order for a macrophage to eat a target, there needs to be many IgGs and many FC receptors. So what does this look like in action and how might these receptors be coordinating their activity? So to answer that question, we need to use a different type of high-resolution microscopy. And so this type of microscopy is called TURF. And in order to do TURF, you need to have all of your molecules on a flat surface. So we can't use those beads that we were using before. And so what we do instead is we take all the molecules and we put them on a flat surface. And even though this is way too big for the macrophage to ever eat, the macrophage doesn't really know that, and it tries to phagocytose this flat thing. And as the macrophage tries, we can watch the molecules and see what their behavior is like. And so in this movie, the IgG is labeled in black. And right now, at the start of the movie, the macrophage is about to land on the IgG and spread across the surface. And the, IgG, the whole surface looks gray because the IgGs are moving around so fast, they're blurry. So it's just gray. But as the macrophage lands, Many IgGs come together to form these black spots. So each of these spots is a cluster of IgGs. We thought that this might be a clue for how a macrophage could distinguish between a few IgGs and lots of IgGs together. Perhaps these clusters are part of the measuring mechanism. And so Nadia and I wanted to be able to manipulate them to see whether that affected phagocytosis. But the problem is that they're very, very small. So those clusters are between 10 and 100 nanometers in size. And so how big is a nanometer? Well, a nanometer is one one billionth of a meter. A normal person is about one and a half meters. And so a nanometer is one one billionth that size. So some examples of other things that are a billion apart, one billion seconds is 32 years. And one billion steps takes you around the Earth about 15 times. So one one one-billionth of a meter is very tiny. But luckily, we had a collaborator, Sean Douglas, who's really good at building really tiny things out of DNA. And so this technique is called DNA origami because he uses the DNA to fold into really complicated structures. And so he designed for us this structure that we're calling a DNA pegboard. And each of these little blue-gray dots is a place where we can add an IgG-like molecule or not. And then the red dots is where we've actually added it. And so basically, we can create all sorts of different patterns of IgG and test how they affect phagocytosis. And so we did a pretty straightforward experiment. We made two different types of DNA origamis. One, where there's IgG-like molecules here in the center, where these four red dots are. And then one, that's the opposite, where the IgG-like molecules are as far apart as we could get them. And then we just took beads, orange beads, coated them in many of these, and blue beads and coated them in many of these, and then fed them to the same macrophages. And then we took movies of the macrophages to watch how they responded. And so an example movie is what I'm showing you right here. The macrophage is in green. You can see the two different types of targets in orange and blue. And the macrophage is choosing to eat only the orange targets. And so, in fact, when we watched many of these movies, what we could see is that the macrophage interacted with both the orange and the blue beads. And if it phagocytosed them, it was at about the same speed. But there was a very big difference in the chance that the macrophage would try to start phagocytosis. So what we ended up figuring out was that there is a go-no-go decision point at the start of phagocytosis, that's affected by ligand clustering. This is kind of crazy because you have the exact same thing on these two beads. It's just how it's organized in space, how far apart these molecules are. And that makes a really big difference on whether or not they get phagocytosed. Okay, so what might this mean for a real macrophage in vivo? Well, if you think about a macrophage navigating through a tissue, it doesn't really have time to stop and survey the entire surface of a target and measure how many IgGs are there. It needs to make a decision very quickly. And so, what would actually happen is the macrophage would probably send out a protrusion. And if that protrusion were to contact a healthy cell, like these red blood cells, it would find maybe one IgG, but it's very, very unlikely that it would find multiple next to each other because there's just not a lot of IgGs there. But in contrast, if it were to find this target with lots of IgGs, it's quite likely that there would be another IgG next to that first one. And then the macrophage would know this is something good to eat. Okay, so how does this apply to cancer therapy? Well, these are all a bunch of examples of immunotherapy antibodies that are currently being used as cancer treatments that rely on activating the FC receptors. And in developing these antibodies, scientists found lots of antibodies that worked and lots of antibodies that didn't, but there was there's still not a really good sense of the design principles or how we can make antibodies that work well instead of just trying a bunch of things and hoping for the best. So some rules that we've uncovered is that how well the antibody binds to the cancer cell that affects how well the antibody works great that makes sense the type of antibody there's slight differences in antibodies so the type of antibody can affect how it well it works where the antibody binds can affect how well it works whether it binds to the top of a protein or the bottom of a protein and then i think that The work that I just showed you done by Nadia really adds another point here, that the antibody pattern also really affects how well that antibody works. Okay, so that's all I'm going to tell you about how macrophages measure IgG. And now I'm just going to quickly tell you what I've learned about CD47 and how that stops phagocytosis of healthy cells. Okay, so again, we have to start by talking about the molecular players. And so I've already introduced to you IgG antibodies recognized by the FC receptor and these signal for phagocytosis, eat me. Then the don't eat me signals, CD47 is present on all viable cells and upregulated on cancer cells. It's recognized by Serp Alpha in the macrophage, and this sends a signal, don't eat me. So the question that I had is, how does CD47 actually stop phagocytosis? This diagram really summarizes about all that we knew about the pathway. And so my first guess was that when CD47 was bound to sirp alpha, somehow that might stop the FC receptor from being activated. That makes a lot of sense. Just stop the macrophage from seeing the target to begin with. And so to test that idea, I again used turf microscopy. So again, you're kind of watching from below as the macrophage lands on the surface, but I'm just going to show you one time point. And so I showed you before that the IgG molecules will rearrange into these clusters. These clusters recruit downstream signaling proteins that are the things that actually do the phagocytosis. And so what I'm showing you here, there's IgG molecules in blue. There's these downstream signaling proteins in pink. And if you zoom in on just a few clusters, they're very nicely co-localized. And so i thought maybe you know if cd47 is there it's going to change the number of of clusters or the the strength of the clusters or it's going to change whether or not they recruit sick and it didn't do any of these things i looked as hard as i could i quantified everything i could think of we still got igg clusters they still recruited the downstream effector protein sick and they still localized really well and so there might be some subtle differences here but To me what this said is this isn't the main story there's something else that's that's causing macrophages not to phagocytose these targets and so while i was doing these experiments i noticed something else the macrophages did not spread as well on those on those um, igg coated surfaces when cd47 was present so that's just quantified here i'm showing this green line is a macrophage increasing its surface area on a igg coated surface and then when cd47 is present that footprint remains really small and so this gave me a hint of where to look and i did some more experiments and i figured out that there was this molecule called integrin that was not activated if cd47 was present and so that kind of looks like this cd47 is upregulated on cancer cells When CD47 is there, it prevents integrin from being activated, and without active integrin, the macrophages can't phagocytose the cancer cell. So I thought about that some more, and I thought, okay, well, maybe then if we can activate integrin, that would bypass the suppressive CD47 signal on cancer cells, and that would allow macrophages to reengage with the cancer cells whether or not CD47 was present. So that's exactly what I did. I reactivated integrin and asked, do the macrophages now phagocytose cancer cells? And so this is a video of that data. The macrophages are in green, and then this is a cancer cell in pink. Only part of the cancer cell is labeled. And normally, if you were to take a movie of cancer cells and macrophages together, they really would mostly ignore each other. But in this movie, I've activated integrins. And what you can see is now the macrophage reaches out it grabs that cancer cell and it digests it so this really suggests that our idea is correct that cd47 prevents phagocytosis because it inhibits this one key molecule integrin and if we reactivate integrin now the macrophages can phagocytose the cancer cells okay so my lab what next we're just getting started we're still studying igg and cd47 and we're still interested in a lot of different aspects of their signaling we're interested in how cd47 pattern might affect how well it signals and we're interested in how macrophages measure igg for all sorts of different functions not just phagocytosis but in addition to studying phagocytosis, we also wanna study these other macrophage functions that can be targeted by cancer immunotherapy. And so by using our same strengths in high resolution imaging and synthetic biology that we've applied to studying phagocytosis, we think that we can study a bunch of other signaling pathways that are also relevant for cancer immunotherapy. So that is what we are planning to do going forward. So I just want to end with a picture of my lab These are my graduate students, Wyatt Miller and Annalise Bond, my lab manager, Serene Fiaz, and then some wonderful undergrads in our lab, Alyssa Granados, Hamamora, and Eliza Nario. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.